0: Hello, I'm Britt 3 and you're listening to College Writing Act where we talk about the how-to and how-come of college writing and writing instruction here for you every other Wednesday walk-in session. We have a returning guest today and Megan Gonzalez, a doctoral candidate in the Brown University Neuroscience Department and a tutor in the University Writing Center. Thanks for coming back, Meg.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Britt. So happy to be here.
0: Yeah. yeah. So after last season's episode about writing a paper in STEM, Meg and I got to talking literally right after I pressed the stop button. Yeah. <laughs> yes. About resistance to anti racist writing and STEM. And it's deep, y'all. Meg was dropping diamonds and pearls. So <laughs> so here we are talking to tutors who work with STEM papers, talking to students and teachers and STEM, talking to linguists and writing studies peeps who butt up against pushback on this subject as well. Welcome in everyone. This is a real kitchen sink kind of party today.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Everyone, please Welcome, and I can't wait to talk about all of this.
0: Yeah, there's so much to get into, and we have no chance of getting into it all. But what I really want to unpack is the general irrelevance I hear STEM people express. Like, they don't think Mm anti-racist writing has anything to do with them. So let's just start there and see where the conversation takes us. Uh, Meg, I'm sure you've heard that narrative a lot personally in your own labs Mm -hmm. and professionally from STEM writers who come into the writing center looking for help for a bit Mm -hmm. more direction as we open up. Let's actually start with inclusive writing in general.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Britt. I think this is just one of those tropes, sadly, that a lot of people think like oh you know anti-racist writing is really pertinent to the humanities and not necessarily to stem yeah. because stem's so rigorous and you know we're so siloed in the way we do things and it's so overly structured that people don't think that they can bend those yeah. those prior way of thinking or acting or speaking, but really, I think, in order to enact change and to make everyone actually feel included and to be truly anti-racist, we need to be more inclusive Mm -hmm. from the get-go. And, you know, being a scientist, even if you're just a STEM student Mm -hmm. or thinking about doing a career in STEM, you know, a core of who we are is a writer, right? Mm -hmm. It's a huge piece of what we do and how we communicate our ideas. So we really need to make sure that everyone feels Included. And there are some things that I keep in mind whenever I try to um, write.
0: Lay it on us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first important thing to talk about is, you know, the sources that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the sources, um, as I'm sure that's not surprising, um, are by, you know, heterosexual, cis, white older men. Wow. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, um, I know. It's a shocker. Um, But usually these are the people who are one publishing the most because they have the most privilege and ability to do so. Mm -hmm. And also they are the people who are cited most. So Mm -hmm. there's been recent publications that have come out in Nature and other high-impact journals that have shown that, you know, there is a huge, significant, prevalent prevalent bias where white cis men are more likely to be cited than women mm-hmm. and people of color. Mm-hmm. So it's um, pretty upsetting, but there are ways to combat this.
0: Okay. Before we get into those ways, I just want to highlight, especially from the humanities perspective, mm-hmm. um... I remember the episode that we did about writing a paper in STEM and yeah. how how structured it was. There's mm-hmm. the, the abstract, there's the intro, there's the methods. there like it, it was very, very, you have to have these sections. This is how the knowledge is presented. Right. And taking nothing from that, so I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with having, like, conventions happen. Yeah right like convention well not natural they're put in place yeah. <laughs> yeah conventions are not necessarily bad right right they can provide useful structure for how knowledge is communicated in a particular field. right they help people to read faster when you know where things are going to be you can go in very absolutely like, there yeah. are utilities to it, it ain't yeah all that. yeah um, exactly yeah but i think when conventions become a problem is when one conventions are naturalized, as in, like, oh, this is just how we do things. Yes. No one has the responsibility for how it happened. Right. No particular people, group, or culture, or region is cited for creating certain practices. Then mm-hmm. we don't have to interrogate how that people, or culture, or region came up with that practice. We right. We have to interrogate if there's anything icky under it. Right. Um, And then also, I love that the talking about writing is really how STEM communicates. When we think about writing a lot yeah. in the humanities, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of the stuff that we read from STEM is written. Yeah. It's not necessarily lecture unless you're in school, but right. like the the overwhelming and correct me if I'm wrong, the overwhelming yeah. output of knowledge from STEM is, is written and stuff. So, yeah. Even though we think of the humanities as the writers, I love your point of being like, no, in STEM, we are writers. That is how we communicate. So it's so important to really thoroughly interrogate, is our writing inclusive? Is our writing anti-racist? Because if it's not, we're not.
1: Exactly. that
0: is the presentation of our knowledge.
1: Right. And if we're not being anti-racist, then we're excluding, you know, people who deserve and need to be part of these conversations and, you know, who have great ideas. And it's just, it's just, in my opinion, it's just wrong. Um, And I think that, you know, we're not necessarily taught to be anti-racist yes. writers in, you know, in our courses or necessarily even in our labs. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I had to kind of um, learn about myself or kind of teach myself or learn from like other people who are doing a lot of anti-racist writing work in the humanities or in, you know, just Mm -hmm. our writing center.
0: Interdisciplinary.
1: Yes, interdisciplinarity. Um, But because I've learned from all of these wonderful people, you know, I think it needs to be taken now and applied to. The field of STEM.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How did you what was your process of that? What was your yeah. process of like coming out of the cave we can talk about <laughs> the world, like Yeah. looking <laughs> into the sun, being like, Wait, was I in shadow this whole time? Like what was that process of really realizing the problem and then saying, Oh, I don't have all the resources and support I need to combat this yeah and then getting that help and then integrating those practices how did you do that yeah
1: I think first off it comes from a place of acknowledging like your privilege you know I I think um, I need to we need to think about you know who we are and how we fit into this writing paradigm mm-hmm. and I think I learned a lot from speaking with students from a bunch of different backgrounds, you know, students with various identities who are, you know, studying lots of different ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think this is even prevalent in my own work, which I think was a big push in this direction. So I work with, we call it human subjects. So yeah, I work with, I work with humans. I study humans. Um, I do MRI on them and scan their brains. Um, But I particularly work with individuals with mental illness. So one of the things that is super prevalent in, you know, writing, especially in human subjects research, is labeling. So I think this was really the first thing that came to me is, you know, we wouldn't, call a person um with depression the depressed person or the depressed. Oh no. No. Okay. That's um, you know, it's not person centric in that way. Okay. So we want the individual and who they are to lead the way and this is just part of their identity. Okay. So we would say an individual with depression. Okay. So it's less about making their sole identity, you know, their illness yeah, or yeah. their um, whatever identity you're focusing on in your research okay. um, and making it, you know, just something. They're human first and foremost mm-hmm. with this other thing that they're also dealing with. So I think looking through, you know, all of my own research with um, people with mental illness and then talking with all of these wonderful students at the Writing Center and, you hearing all of these other um people who are working in other disciplines who actively practice anti-racist writing really made me realize like oh wow we need to do a much better job of this mm-hmm. in the sciences and this needs to be really um brought to the forefront mm-hmm. of what we do so uh, the i
0: was talking to uh our boss charlie
1: yes <laughs> love charlie <laughs> so i was to charlie
0: um I think it was last week, and I was talking about a presentation I was getting ready to give to um, high school faculty across yeah. all four disciplines, including STEM. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, he was like, what are you, what, what pushback are you anticipating? Mm-hmm. Which is a good question. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> and I was like, I'm anticipating people in STEM and historians, because that's yes. the other thing. Oh, Charlie yeah, Charlie is a historian, for those of y'all who do not. No, and so he was like,
1: Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yes, Charlie.
0: I <laughs> feel <laughs> like we would be a lot more accepting. And I was like, Well, here's the thing that STEM and historians have in common. Yeah. And, inter- and interdisciplinarity helps you to see that, that there are certain characteristics in yes. certain fields that might make it more difficult for them to accept certain principles, to hear certain things. Right. Both STEM and historians, especially depending on what level of history they're working Right can really, can really revel in this claim of of objectivity. Right, yes. That this is simply what happened.
1: Yes. So there's
0: no, there's no anti-racism, there's no racism, there's yeah. no bias, there's no discrimination. This right. This is just what happened. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, I guess I would say that objectivity is a lie. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I, I mean, like, you know, we're, we're people, you know, people. scientists, historians, whoever you are, you're a person person and everyone has biases. Even the ones that you try to actively remove and change, you're still going to be biased in some manner. So as a person reporting any type of information, whether it be history, science, you know, whatever it is,
0: anthropology,
1: anthropology, yeah, anthropology, English, whatever it is, you're going to be bringing some bias forward. So that's why we need you know, checks and balances exactly. and to check ourselves at the beginning and making sure that what we're actually putting on the page mm-hmm. is neutral to begin with, you know. And
0: I think here's my thing about
1: neutrality. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Neutrality oh, is that's a another that's another word that's a, uh, that I think is it's highly a, problematic. It's a dog yes. Whistle. Yes it is. Yeah.
0: I, I really here's the thing about objectivity and neutrality. I think it's fine if we just throw them out. Yeah. Cuz we are we are subjects. Yeah. And so I think it's a little weird and yeah. counterintuitive to expect a subject to be objective. Yes. Right. Well, why i you said i'm a subject i have personhood i have a background i have a culture those things yeah into my identity into my subjectivity right so to be objective is to act in 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 separation from all those exactly now here is where the work is right i think objectivity and neutrality talking about people subjects yeah I think if we naturalize subjectivity, yeah. naturalize, you're going to speak from a position. We are not Spider Man. We're not speaking from the wall. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a <laughs> on the yeah. Ground, right, right. Seeing certain things, carrying certain baggage. I think what I would prefer is is really seeing statements of positionality. I, oh, yeah. I I couldn't it. agree more. Yes, like, ethnography does this really well. Yes, yes, Cultural it ethnography does. ethnography does this really well. Um, And I, I came across it in a performance studies class, or performance ethnography class, in yeah. the performance studies department. And this is where, again, interdis- interdisciplinary can really, really serve us and yeah. say, who is doing this well and how do they do it? Right. Is it really impossible for us to adopt that practice? Right. I don't think it's impossible I don't for a so. scientist to say I am studying this community of which I am not a part.
1: Oh yeah. I, I and I think that should be the norm here. And I Listen. think, you know, the color blindness or n- foolish pure foolishness, um neutrality, objectivity, these things just aren't possible as humans and we all have an identity. I think to try and be colorblind erases other people's, you know, experiences and their wants and their mm-hmm. backgrounds and that's just not right. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous and I think the more that scientists can come out and say, look, I am a heterosexual, um, cisgender, white woman like I am. um, And I am studying this population of individuals from this different part of the world or this different um, culture or community. um, I think makes it all that more better, one, for the people that you're writing about or studying, and two, for your audience.
0: Exactly. Let me know how I should be reading this. Yeah. Let me know how I should be reading this so I can take this with a grain of salt. That it is, and now also I think pushback to that might be that people don't want to give up their position of yeah, quote unquote objective authority. Right, like, exactly. Oh, just believe me because I'm the one writing it. It's like, well, who are you though? Yeah, Well have an identity. Well, right. Yeah. And so what I, what I'm not saying is, and before I forget, I want to say Eduardo benilla Silva has a book on colorblindness that's real good, it's, mm-hmm. and it's like or sixth or seventh or something addition, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's his bag. Yeah. So uh, that's if you are like, What's wrong with colorblindness? That is not the episode today. Yeah, no. <laughs> we could right? do a
1: whole episode on it, that
0: but has a book on um colour blindness mm-hmm. and how it's based it's it's a new racism. It really
1: is it, it definitely is. I 100 so agree. a lot of
0: things because oh, I don't see color. Yeah. But then you just use dog whistles Yeah.
1: to you're masking right, other like, people's identities yeah said.
0: you're just saying them in different ways right and um, i think that's um, ian haney lopez i think don't quote me on that that, that presents that term dog whistles but yes. any, well i'm pulling back from a from a class like 4 two, 3 <laughs> years of yeah. up these names my goodness yeah but um drops Thank
1: you. Yeah, that's it impressive. On the other
0: side of the pandemic for me, people. Really wow. Like,
1: Even really more
0: think, impressive. We really <laughs> have to go return <laughs> that knowledge. Um, but yeah, dog whistle and colorblindness mm-hmm. definitely go and in, um, interrogate or not interrogate, investigate those terms more if you're not familiar with it. Right. Um, And if you find yourself saying, oh, I, I think I use Douglas although though I think I do agree with colorblind mentality, interrogate why that might actually be just a new form of racism. Exactly. Um, yes. But I, what I'm not saying is that because of subjectivity, bias is okay. What I'm saying is we have biases because of subjectivity. Right. We have, and biases can go a lot of ways. Yeah. They really, really can Yeah. And so, and, and and it's also true that you could have biases because of real experiences. Yeah. I am biased towards cops. I don't yeah. let like them off jump. Yep. And so when I see a cop, it's I really be, have yeah. to be like, but is this person actually being aggressive towards me? Or is he showing up? Is she showing up? Or are they showing up respectfully? Right. Right. And so, like, for me... And that's why I'm saying biases can show up in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Why do I have that bias? Because of the extreme state-sanctioned violence that cops have carried out against marginalized communities. Right. There is a justifiable reason for the bias. Absolutely. We still need to be responsible for that mm-hmm. bias, yeah. When I walk into a room with other
1: people, exactly, right? so yeah.
0: That's the thing, it's not, we're not saying, oh, everyone has biases, so it's fine, yeah, it's fine, do yeah. whatever you want. <laughs> like, you know I mean? no, if no. I can quote the great scholar, yeah, the Erica Badu. yeah, 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 you, you're gonna miss your bus, yeah. you can't hurry up because yeah. you got too much stuff. So yeah. it's yes. fine. You yeah. have the baggage, mm-hmm. but when we are going into writing, that's when we want to nice Yeah, right. that's when like <laughs> we want to really just say, okay, here are yes. the things that I bring into a room with me. I'm talking about this community. I realize that this particular bias can bump up against them mm-hmm. and disparage them in some way that is not fair. Right. So let me name that in right. my position as I work against those biases showing up in this paper. Absolutely. So I think that's what we're saying is yes. name it so that you can put it in its right place. 100%.
1: And I think it's another point with it. STEM in particular is don't lump things under one category, name them very specifically. So we have a tendency in the social sciences or even in the life sciences when we're working with human subjects um, to, you know, lump things under like, you know, things that relate to racist policies or infrastructure or systemic issues. We lump it under socioeconomic status or other types of, um, you know, Blanket terms Mm -hmm. when really we should be explicitly and specifically calling out things like, you know, this is a racist policy. Mm -hmm. This disproportionately – disadvantage it disadvantages um individuals of color or of this community i think we need to just be more explicit and call it as is rather than try and skirt around speaking about it
0: right because i mean again colorblindness
1: yeah it's color it's the it's the same thing with color blindness in this particular form Mm -hmm. of stem writing
0: right oh i don't see it and it's not really right like yeah Name it. Yeah, name it. Call name, it out. Name it, and again, history can help us here. Like name it in its historical moment. Yeah. Right? So when we're representing people, particularly when we're talking about, oh, there's a group of people that I'm studying. Mm-hmm. They're usually in X, X, and X tax bracket in this neighborhood, and it's whatever. Well, why?
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah. What? What's the re- is there like? Redlining is their gerrymandering, like what is going on, you know?
0: Exactly. I mean, I think this episode is the biggest plug for interdisciplinarity that there is. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I mean, we should all be working together. We're all humans, we all want to better each other's lives, our own lives.
0: Exactly. There there are so many books on redlining, there are so many books on. Um, on on prosecution yes. ethics, right? Like, yes. there's so much on the prison industrial complex. Oh,
1: Ugh, <laughs> go on about the prison industrial complex. Oh my
0: goodness, you can pull. You, there's so many representations, yeah. representation. Yeah, right. And so when we're when you're in STEM, I would just really encourage you, uh, read a little before you write.
1: Definitely. Be more informed and speak with other people. Right.
0: Outside of your discipline.
1: Outside of your discipline, people who look different from you, who grew up from different backgrounds. And, you know, and I think this also applies to and stem how we do peer review all the time. Mm-hmm. We should not be having, you know, the people who identify exactly how we identify yeah. peer reviewing our work. Same blind spots. It's same exact blind <laughs> spots. That's the purpose of that. They're, and then it's just perpetuated because then it's going to get cited. And mm-hmm. then this cited work will just continue to get cited. Mm-hmm. And and then you're just perpetuating what we can't see or what should be, what's being masked Essentially. Yeah. So I think, you know, one, we need to think about our own writing, and two, think about who is reading or double checking yeah.
0: our writing. Right, right, right. Because you can get into this circle of feel good where it's right. like, see, it's not a problem. This colleague who I respect. Said right. This. And it's like, well, this is a perfect time for you to self check yeah. why you have no marginalized people around you that mm-hmm. you respect.
1: Exactly. Like,
0: why? Why don't you have other options? Right. What are you doing to seek other options? Right. Who are you talking to at conferences?
1: That's a huge thing to right. think of. Yeah, so, you know, are you just perpetuating your own ideas? You know. Right. You're.
0: You're seeking people who look like confirmation people. bias.
1: Hello.
0: Yeah. Go on and drop
1: the term. Yeah. It's called confirmation bias for my social psych uh, fans. Yeah. yeah. We're, as humans, you know, it's a heuristic that we follow. We mm-hmm. want to confirm what we are saying or doing so that way we don't appear wrong or are wrong mm-hmm. and have that cognitive dissonance, you know, yeah. dropping all of the psych, pop all psych terms. I
0: told you to seat today. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. And I think. Saying- what I also want to name is that this is a another level of work.
1: Mm-hmm. It is. It
0: is another level of work that that truly should be integrated into the work that you're already doing. Right. But when you are new to it. Yes. It is a just a, a full another level. Yes. You don't know how to integrate it. Yet. No. You don't know how to search for confirmation bias. You don't know oh, yeah. how to search for implicit bias. You don't know. Right. When you're using dog whistle terms. Exactly. fighting really racist arguments and claims, right. you don't necessarily know. So it is going to be one more work, yeah. um, like intellectually and emotionally. Yeah,
1: it will It will be because you're going to have to also come to terms with things that you may have done mm-hmm. that may not have been, you know, the most helpful towards people from other communities yeah. or races or backgrounds, yeah. you know, and that can be emotionally taxing because it probably wasn't intentionally meant to be harmful. Right. But I think understanding that there's going to be this cognitive dissonance when you actively or proactively think and write this way, Mm -hmm. just know that it, you know, you get muscle memory. It comes easier with time and use your resources. So, you know, create your resources. resources. (laughs) Um, That's very true. I mean, like even just looking up right now, like, you know, I, I wanted to come into this Podcasts being well informed and in knowing what the literature was saying about anti racist writing in STEM. And y'all, there is not, <laughs> there are no real solid resources that actively, you know, have a title that say anti racist writing resources in the sciences. Wow. There really isn't anything. It's all geared about general writing. But as we know, you know, I know there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences between disciplines and how the humanities writes about something versus how the sciences writes about something. So the fact that I went on to Google and couldn't find anything and then I went to Google Scholar or PubMed or, you know, those big databases and couldn't find much um, was, was kind of, you know, upsetting not surprising mm-hmm. um upsetting but it also kind of lights the fire in you to mm-hmm. like you said create your own resources mm-hmm. and you know we're thinking about creating something like this and at least in our department mm-hmm. and uh our neuroscience department but also you know maybe we could have a workshop on this at the writing center you know mm-hmm. just to talk about these things oh, to make it more
0: accessible accessible yeah yeah. yeah, because that's definitely a deterrent when people are like, well, I don't know how to do it and no one else is doing it. So is it really yeah. that important?
1: Exactly. And
0: it's like, oh, okay. So I, I want to timestamp this episode just for the sake of contextualizing what Meg is saying. It is November 8th, 2022. Mm-hmm. We really like had this episode. We were really recording this episode right after the STEM paper episode because we didn't want to lose the flow of we want to lose the momentum mad early so when this comes out Mm -hmm. in 2023 and if if there has somehow been a proliferation of anti-racist writing and stem sources they were not here in 2022 okay yeah yes yeah yeah if
1: they're if they're here now while you're listening um they were not here while Britt and i were sitting here speaking
0: (laughs) they were still in the peer review process evidently because we could not find them yeah um, exactly. So just just know that. But no, yes, I definitely think that it's important to name that it is a different level of work if you're not used to it. Yeah. Over a time, it will become just integrated into your practice. Exactly. But that's going to really take some vulnerability on your part to admit wrongdoing. Right. And at least in the humanities, I have seen people say, in a prior work, I did not think as deeply about X yeah. and X. Um, And so Patricia Hill Collins, for instance, when she writes Black sexual... I think it's in 2006, she talks about her iconic work Mm -hmm. of of Black feminist theory. I think that was in 1999, 2000. She talks about like blind spots from that work to Black sexual politics. Right. And she's just open with it. She's like, well, that's what this work is about now. Right. And so as you are writing something new and you realize, oh my gosh, I have done this so much in previous works, name that.
1: Yeah call it out that. and I think with with science the reason maybe people are afraid to do this is mm-hmm. they're like, oh well it kind of steers away from the topic of the main topic of the paper or mm-hmm. you know the hypothesis that we're posing you know I think the more we can actually call out our past blind spots mm-hmm. or where we haven't described things well or haven't been as explicit as yeah. we should have been I think the more that we can do this now, whether it be in the discussion or the introduction of you know, our publications, the more commonplace this will be and the more we can actually, you know, use anti-racist writing like every day in our like normal conversations and in our scientific writing and publications. So I think there needs to be, you know... I don't think scientists should be so afraid to acknowledge their past mistakes. And I think that's just a huge problem that plagues science in general, mm-hmm. um, especially with, you know, confirming or denying hypotheses. But I think in terms of looking at our own work, not even necessarily pertaining to your hypothesis per se, but, you know, and how you examine um the factors that lead into certain results or the way that you describe certain results or how you describe the population of people that you're working with. We should be willing to amend that.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) let me... 'Cause I think you bring up a really good uh, anticipated pushback yeah. that some listeners might be having of like, oh well, you're just distracting from the actual point of us being here. Yeah. So what I heard Meg say that I think is a really, really good point, is that is part and parcel of your argument. Right. How you describe people, how you describe their circumstances, how you describe their actions, how you quote them, how yes. you paraphrase them, right, how you represent them. I will never forget a uh, performance ethnographer, Sweeney D. Saini D. Madison, um, I, I think it's in her book Acts of Activism. Mm-hmm. She talks about going and seeing a documentary of, about a um, people in Africa, and that the representation was just trash. Yeah, was just garbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and she essentially says like the danger of that is that. How you represent people is how people then treat those people. Exactly. And so as an ethnographer, as an anthropologist, as a sociologist, as a linguist, as a scientist, as a researcher. Yeah. One day we need to get into where that term researcher comes from, but that's not this episode. I'm just saying it's colonial. Yes.
1: (laughs) Very um, much so. (laughs) we
0: move in these spaces and these fields, we're representing people. And how we view them determines how we interpret their actions exactly and so it's not a separate issue what you think yeah. about how they move and how they got there is pushing forward your interpretation of your hypothesis of your of your methods of your research all of those things come into each other that is part of the yeah. paper so it's not this separate register of, oh that's just ethos yeah it was logos too yeah
1: it's 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 everything it all like you said comes together to tell one Story. It's not like, yes, they may come in different parts and pieces, but you're putting all the pieces together to make like a full puzzle. It's also important to think about not only what information you're excluding, but also information that you're including. So in order to be inclusive, you know, You should think about, you know, are you incorporating information about the people that you're studying, your human subjects? That Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily pertinent to what you are actually looking at or actually. Yeah. So, you know, for example, um, if you're looking at um, individuals um, like, um, let's say, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. No. <laughs> Sorry. Um so let's say that you want to study um you know, black women in Boston, for whatever reason, um, receiving um, cognitive behavioral therapy, I'm throwing it back to mental health, just because that's what I'm familiar with studying. But if you start, if researchers start to talk about, you know, their sexual identity, or, um, you know, information that necessarily isn't pertinent Mm -hmm. to explaining, you know, their identity in the context of receiving CBT, or their art, the arguments that the researchers are trying to make.
0: CBT, oh yes, sorry, CBT. Sorry,
1: sorry. <laughs> um, you know, it frames these participants as as others, uh-huh. and it frames them as someone different from the author themselves, which can be, you know problematic because then it sometimes you know presents them as abnormal or different or you know mm-hmm. something that, that uh you know outgroup versus in group. Mm-hmm. and that's really important to think about when you write about human subjects research in science because you don't want to imply that you, the author, and the people that you identify with are superior Mm -hmm. and that the subjects that you're studying, the participants, you know, because they're different or they have a different identity, that they're inferior or abnormal in any way.
0: So follow-up question in place of the listeners here. I'm acting acting as their proxy. Sure. As I so often do. I'm here for y'all. Yeah. So how do you balance that? Because you do want people to know the, the population that you're working with. Right. So how do you balance that naming their identity without othering them or or positioning yourself as superior
1: yeah so i think that comes back to what we spoke about before about it being explicit in one your identity as the author and then i think it's too looking at how you know the people that you are studying also define themselves or how they present themselves you know um or you know, maybe information on their sexuality, for, in our example, just mm-hmm. isn't pertinent to what mm-hmm. research questions you're asking. So if it's not really pertinent or helping to really move the story forward or mm-hmm. answer that question, mm-hmm. then, you know, you're probably okay with, you know, not including it. But if this group, you know, whatever group it may be that you're working with, needs to have this part of their identity explained or, like, you know, showcased or, you know, stated explicitly. I think that that is a different story for including. So I think it's context and, you know.
0: I think it's context and collaboration. Collaboration—that That is the word I was looking for. Okay. You need
1: to work with the people that you are, quote, unquote, studying.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because can I tell you what I really loved about what you just said? Yeah. When in doubt, ask the people yes. you're studying, not your colleagues, not your, not your professor, yep. your peers, the publisher. Ask the people you yes. are writing about what they would rather, and that's what you need to do, and that's what you should fight for, too. Your colleagues, Always. your peers, your editors, your publisher. Fight for what they say they want written about them, and exactly. don't write it. If yeah, you like, yep. can't do it right now, then don't write it.
1: Yeah, like certain groups may... You know, find it okay to reclaim certain words that may have been derogative, derogative towards them. Mm, and we
0: gonna take it there. Go ahead,
1: I'm sorry, I'm taking it there, but like you know, certain groups that do that and like have every right to do that. It's not okay for you know a person from a completely different like race or ethnicity who you know doesn't identify in that way to then use that word. Mm. It's just not okay. So we need to ask this population that we are quote unquote studying um, in the sciences to make sure that, you know, they're comfortable with what you're saying or what they're Mm -hmm. saying is accepted. Um, You know, we we don't want people to feel more marginalized, you know.
0: Yeah, and what I'm hearing is that this is something that really should go, maybe in your methods section. Yeah. The methods section needs to be, way more reflective Mm -hmm. that's where you really want to set up your positionality I 100% agree you're talking about how you will be talking about them Mm -hmm. certain certain communities refer to themselves using xx and x terms Mm -hmm. they asked me to directly quote them I will never use this word outside of quotes exactly because that's how we begin to create um resources for other people who are like I want to do it but I don't know how you do it right yeah and then the yeah. repository gets built. Your methods section can be exemplar of how right. you do anti Reproducibility.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: So I, I, I love that. And I'm thinking back to your example. If we're if we're looking at black women mm-hmm. and the use of cognitive behavioral therapy, yeah. Maybe coincidentally somehow the majority of the women that you are talking to do identify as as lesbian or yeah. as queer or as gender. Uh, as non-binary yeah 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 but what they talk about is not their sexuality what they're ta- what they talk about is their
1: class exactly what is their neighborhood? exactly they, that's what exactly that's and i think that's you just articulated what i was trying to get at so Team. thank you Britt. Teamwork. teamwork you know um but i think you know you need to talk about the identity that is relevant to the research question and relevant to the people you are studying, you know, if they perceive, you know, um, whether it be like class or, you know, um, whatever it may be as part of their identity, then that's what you should be focusing on, not something that's kind of spuriously related or something that you as an um a person you know as a researcher um or a scientist um think is relevant you need to actually speak with your subjects
0: and you know what that requires is a position of humility
1: oh yes it
0: requires a position of humility you coming in and being like here's the question that i have but i'm not putting myself forth as one who is authoritative enough to say, oh, I'll know it when I see it. No, they will tell me right what the answer to this is, and I will believe them exactly. I don't. What? How, what do I know better? Exactly. What do I know better? There is a um, a study that Boston University has done, the Black Women's Health Project. I think it's called. Um, they've been doing it since 1995 mm-hmm. and looking at is there a correlation between daily microaggressions between racism between sexism and Black women having, um being sick essentially like having mm-hmm. more aggressive cancers than their white counterpart having right. higher levels of hypertension like having even when this even when the disease is similar mm-hmm. having more aggressive forms of it right than white counterparts is that because of the particular stressor that comes with being both black and woman absolutely. in america absolutely i am sure that there are women in that study who've mm-hmm. been doing it since 1995 who are who are some who are queer right yeah. like that like Sure, I'm sure. But yeah, they don't ever label it because that's not the point of the project. The point exactly. Of the project is: is there something about you being black and woman that is that is contributing to this? Now, if the if the subject mm-hmm. says, "Yeah," and my sexuality also becomes a stressor, right, right, then that's different. That's very different, named. right? But what you said you were here to do is to look at race and sexual race and um, gender, and how they yes. May create different medical outcomes different life qualities exactly so stay on stay on the line that you draw exactly unless you are diverted by that community
1: right exactly listen listen to the people that you are working with they are as much your participants quote unquote Mm -hmm. as they are your colleagues
0: yeah yes oh my gosh yes i love that they are your colleagues as
1: well yeah they are when i work with people or i scan them more i do like diagnostic interviewing um I view them as my co-workers. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. working with them. They are are doing work. They are producing something. They need to be treated as such.
0: And depending on the questions you're asking, then you're asking a lot of emotional labor. You're
1: asking so much of them. And, you know, and I think this gets into a totally different conversation of, you know, are we even adequately, you know, compensating these individuals Mm. for participating? Um, But, you know, you're asking a lot of them you know your whole all of your research is dependent on these people's willingness to yeah. participate yeah. and making them feel comfortable and included and you know accurately representing them as just the bare minimum yeah. that we can do as yeah. scientists
0: and i really think that something could be gained from flipping the the power dynamic completely like yeah. uh, like looking at anthropology particularly looking at like ethnography mm-hmm. um and mostly performance ethnography because that's my that's my engagement with ethnography. And looking yeah. at how the writers describe them trying to integrate into the community. The power is not theirs. Right. The power is not on the person who we see as the writer and the authority. Right. The power is on the community to accept them and yes. to answer the question. To get in the time of day. Yeah. To tell them where the spot is, where you really going to get the most. Right. Your research. Right. Like you, we really need to be putting them in the position of three that they truly have because they could fully be like, nah, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. And have all the answers you need. But if they don't trust you Oh, you're
1: not gonna you're not they're not gonna give it to you and why should they?
0: Right. It's yeah. dead in the water. And so I think that there's just a, a level of humility. Yeah. And a spirit of collaboration that we need to Um, be very, very frank with, both to our academic colleagues and to our field colleagues, shall we call them. Yeah. We need to be very, very transparent with both about what we're doing, why we are doing it. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Can I just say, I was at the American Society of Theater Research Conference Mm -hmm. in New Orleans this uh, past weekend. Mm-hmm. And again, y'all was playing 20, 22, so keep that in mind. But the, the, the opening plenary, one of the speakers, and it was like it was the state of the field, the state of the discipline. Right. Plenary. And one of the speakers, Jordan um, Ely, mm-hmm. who right now is a grad student at University of Washington or Michigan College Park, something like that. Yeah. But amazing, yeah. amazing scholar. Yeah. And she. She her work is on Zora No Hurston, mm-hmm. and she was talking about Zora no Hurston writing to I believe it was like a white woman who was her benefactor, and the woman who wanted to do wear a musical on Black folk songs or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was saying to 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 Zora that she wanted the musical to be like upbeat and pithy or something like that, and Zora wrote back and was like, "You don't know what the H, E, L, L you were talking about, right?" And from that, Jordan took citationality is such a big part of academia, right? As well as should be, yes. But when we are talking about citationality, we also need to talk about ethics, yes. So just because you can cite someone doesn't I mean, mean that you, that you should. should. Want to do it. <laughs> no, why are you there, right? Does it do you have the blessing of this community to write about them? Yeah, they can't stop you, right. But you should not be willing to write about someone who doesn't want to talk to you, who doesn't want you writing about them, who feels like you are an outsider that they have not welcomed in as a guest and have not welcomed out as a representative of them. Right. And so I think that's the other hard part, not just for performances, but for all the disciplines where we deal with human subjects. Mm -hmm. Do you have their blessing? Yeah. Do they want you to cite them? Because if not, then you need to find another project. (laughs)
1: you know another way to think of it is you know to amend what i said earlier rather than co-workers you know you work for them hello yeah you know you work for these people that you are interviewing or Mm -hmm. quote-unquote studying you know They're the ones providing you the information, and truly, you're gathering this information to help these individuals. They should be the ones, you know, leading it or the ones whose ideas and, you know, whatever it may be that is integral to them Mm -hmm. that needs to be at the forefront and celebrated. They should be helping with these decisions. It shouldn't be from other groups that think they know what they're talking about.
0: Right, which again is in your methods. What's the purpose of this project? Exactly. And... Is the, the the community agreed to right these purposes and if they didn't, I just I just love how performance ethnography is just very narrative and mm-hmm. talking about tell us how we got here. Yeah, I think that's going to be so important for us to anti-racist. Yes. especially early because we're like the work is not being published and we'll get into talking about publication in a little in just a second. Yeah, but if the work is not being done published right, it's, yeah, it's not being published. People maybe having these conversations in offices, like, discreetly by themselves with their persons. Yeah. But uh, as an overall field, the work isn't being done. Right. People are going to need examples. Yeah. People are going to need to be like, oh, I like the way so-and-so did it. Right. I think that was really, really useful. I can do that, too. These method sections really have a lot of power for you to say at the beginning of this project, as a blank blank person, mm-hmm. writing about blank blank people, right? A blank blank place where I am or am not from. Right. Where I spent so and so <laughs> much time. Initially I wanted to talk about XX and X. Yeah. When I went to the community, frankly, I was not welcome. Right. And I really struggled with whether or not I was even the one to do it. I decided not to, and here's why. Yeah. Maybe the paper is eventually I was allowed to and and my goals changed and revision with the community. That is such that is such a rich way to situate the work and now I can I can I can rock with it a little better. Now I know oh it's not just the writer. The writer is working in partnership with this community. Right. They have the blessing. Okay, so now I can hear this work as though it's really coming from the community and not coming from the academy. Absolutely. So you're doing work in the field. Situate us in the field, not in your credentials in the academy. Yeah. I don't care.
1: Dismantle the ivory tower.
0: Let's do it! It's
1: dismantle the whole thing. Get Let's rid of it. Burn it. it to the ground. Um, I, you know, and just to, I guess, play devil's advocate with this, I can see a lot of people in STEM being like, oh, well, we only get 4,000 words to, you know, mm. Write our whole paper and that's going to be a huge chunk of words to explain this background. And, you know, I think this gets back to one, the problem with science and in general is, you know, like, well, why do we have this ridiculous um, limitation anyway? Most publications are online and not in print anymore. So the number of words truly isn't that big of a deal. No, you're not hurting the trees. And another thing, too, is you need to think about properly using the resources that these journals do give you is you have supplemental materials that you Mm. can use. So we have a whole section, for those of you who aren't familiar with supplemental materials, where you can include, you know, background data or better explanation of methods or more data that you collected that may not be directly pertinent to your hypothesis, but that is interesting and helps to move the story forward. Why can't we use things like, you know, supplemental materials Mm. or... You know, go to journals that allow more, you know, space yeah. to actually write about this. I think that that shouldn't be a limiting factor.
0: No, because if that happened, if if more STEM researchers, writers, publishers were going to, oh, I see. So for for instance, Nature. If Nature is like, yeah. you get four K and that's it. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, well, in doing this anti-racist work. I realize this method section is four thousand words, but it's a real strong, very necessary four thousand. Yeah. If you're among that early cohort where you don't where you are gonna be the example. Right. Um, in which case I would say still be citational if cite if you need to cite performance ethnography. Yeah, if you need to cite Sweeney Madison, if you need to cite like people in another field yeah. for how you did that, go for it. Do that. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> do that. Yeah. But um if you then have to go to another journal to publish. And more people start following in that trend. I bet you, in a few months' time, or at oh, least yeah. like the next cycle, Nathan will be like, "Ha 10k." Just kidding. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And they'll and they'll do that. And this is, you know, happened with other things like, um, you know, like peer review processes mm-hmm. and um, paying or open access. And for those of you who don't know, open access is you don't have to necessarily hit the reader doesn't have to pay anything to yeah. read the article in full. Yeah. And there's a lot of you know journals moving in this direction, but it's because people got fed up with it. Mm -hmm. And we're like, I'm going to start my own journal or really contribute to this other journal that is doing this, that makes science more accessible and equitable. So I think we just, it's the growing pains of paving the way to make a more inclusive and, you know, accepting space for all people in science
0: yeah I, i'll also do the open access and talking for a second about yeah the other side of the paywall so there's a paywall towards the readers that you need to pay or, or be affiliated or be, or be affiliated with a certain university that has a subscription in order to read certain things right that mm-hmm. keeps that that keeps the audience yeah. to a very specialized group right but then what happens when your community can't even read the paper that you wrote yeah. about them because they're not part of the specialized group, okay? Think about that for a second. Makes no um, sense. The other part of the paywall is from what you told me, and I, whenever I, I heard this and I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You have to pay to publish?
1: Oh, yeah. This is – I – oh, Britt, I could go on. Yes, we have to pay to publish. So these journals have fees, open access fees, you know, in order to pay, to publish open access so everyone can read your paper, you have to spend $4,000 typically at minimum
0: get
1: out of here. to okay, actually pretty, pretty much to actually, uh, you know, present your data. I've just published a couple of papers and the main question isn't, you know, oh, my God, this is so exciting. How are we going to share this information in this publication? It's mm-hmm. OK. How are we going to pay to get it published? You know, that shouldn't have to be something that scientists worry about.
0: That's
1: wild. What? What's the reasoning for that? Uh, corporate greed. Um, oh, it's like definitely. There oh, reason? there's no. In my opinion, there's no legit reason, and the journals can come at me for this, but I don't think there's a legit reason other than to line their pockets. At real
0: college come
1: get at us. Yeah. Just um, <laughs> on Twitter, I don't mind. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So there's not a, it's just capitalism.
1: I think it's capitalism at its finest. And I think it's so that way these journals can just make more money. It's just a giant game of profits. Okay. It's not truly about making things fully accessible. Because if it was, then scientists, one, would be paid for publishing and paid for the work that they do. Mm. And they wouldn't have to actually pay themselves to have their work out in the world. And readers wouldn't have to pay for it yeah. either. You know, it's It's upsetting.
0: It is. I like I don't even that made no sense to me when you told me. I was like I'm I'm very confused.
1: Oh it makes no sense coming out of your mouth <laughs> the
0: moment. Yeah. So so that's something also to think about. If you are someone who was like, Oh, I wanna to go to the finance journals X. Yeah, depending on the communities that you are working with, really think about Saying as part of your methods, which is why I am choosing to only submit this paper to open access forums. Yes, that is also a what, that's a that's a shot across the bow. That is a challenge. Right, Just throwing down the gauntlet and saying, get with it. Yeah. Get with it or get lost. Like, this is what I'm doing. This is part of the work. It's every level of the work. There is a choice to be made for inclusivity. Right. And the more that we naturalize that, the more that we de-invisibilize that. Yes. The more we talk about it, the better, the easier over time mm-hmm. it will be for people to see those choices. And right. Have the, and then make the correct choice. Right. right. Like, we need to get it Soon it won't even there.
1: be a choice. It will just be what That's you what do. Yeah. And I... It's just frustrating. Yeah. I'm frustrated, but... <laughs> can we
0: not end with frustration? What can we leave them with to say, okay, because we've already talked a lot yeah. about, like, method sections can really help you with yeah. your, with your um, transparency and positionality. Um, I would say what, it's... What else can we give the people?
1: I would say it's the process as a whole. So, yes, actually writing the paper, but writing is also publishing. It's choosing your sources, you know. Mm-hmm use sources that are appropriate and that aren't just by older white cis men, you know, like include everyone. Um, And when you actually, you know, go to publish this work, Send it to a place where it can have a broad impact, where everyone can read it. Mm -hmm. And then when you're actually doing the science, think about the community that you're actually studying or trying to represent. Mm -hmm. You know, don't misrepresent them. And I think this also gets back to as a scientist, you know, working in a lab. What's your lab culture? You know, I know that's a whole other road we can go down. But is your lab in and of itself inclusive? You know, is it a diverse space? Um, And there's a lot. There are there are some horror stories. Um, And there's a lot more, you know, over the past couple of years about how to create an inclusive lab space and an inclusive classroom around STEM. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to shift now to what about writing? Mm -hmm. Or broaden it out. now. Broad, broaden it. Extended. Yeah, let's make it about every facet of the STEM. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's a good a place as any to end. Yep. So I mean, we've given y'all a lot of jewels. Usually, I'm like, here are the takeaways at every point. This this today we were just rapping. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there were there were takeaways at every point. There was citationality. There were making sure that your hypothesis is anti-racist and inclusive there Mm -hmm. was the way you conduct yourself in the field there was the way that you publish. right like there were lots of different ways and the the websites that meg um, sort of gestured toward about half an hour ago will be in the show notes (laughs) so if you want some um, anti-racist resources they will be in the show notes and recognize that there are not as many as we would like there to be and you can be a part of changing that and we challenge you do that. So, thank you so much, Meg, for another great conversation. Thank you, Britt.
1: I love being here. Thank <laughs> you so much.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Listeners, one and all, if you have thoughts on this episode, take to Twitter. Please mention us with our handle at realcollege.com. You can also DM us your questions or deep musings about instructive pedagogy and practices. And you might just hear those topics and those thoughts on your favorite streaming platform at your very own Actually, all right, out of here. Wishing you all much growth.